coming up on Philosophy Talk. Honestly, Fraser, you must be the last psychiatrist on Earth who hasn't abandoned Sigmund Freud's theories. What are you saying? Merely that his theories are outdated, sexist superstitions unsupported by a shred of clinical evidence. You're drunk. Freud may have laid the groundwork for science of the unconscious, but didn't he get most of it wrong? Today's picture of the unconscious is a lot more scientific than Freud's, but it isn't perfect. What would Freud say about a bunch of philosophers questioning everything except the unconscious? I had a semester and a half of college, so I understand Freud. What Freud showed us is the sort of deep lack of access that we have to our unconscious mind. Our guest is Blakey Vermeule, author of The New Unconscious, A Literary Guided Tour. What has replaced Freud? Well, what would Freud say? Coming up on Philosophy Talk. What's the latest wisdom about the unconscious mind? Can modern scientists do better than Freud? Could anyone do worse? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Josh Landy. And I'm Ray Briggs. We're coming to you from our respective living rooms via the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus, where Ray teaches philosophy, and I direct the Philosophy and Literature Initiative. Today we're asking, what has replaced Freud? You know, Ray, I, I'm not a huge fan of Freud, and I think it's a good thing he's being replaced. But I will give him one thing. He did popularize the idea that we don't always know why we do the things we do. Right. He didn't invent the idea of the unconscious, by the way, which has actually been around for millennia. Like the ancient Epicurean philosopher Lucretius, he talked about how we have an unconscious fear of death that motivates us to act in irrational ways. Right. Yeah, exactly. Freud's contribution was to bring these ideas more into mainstream consciousness, no pun intended. Uh, nowadays, pretty much everyone's familiar with the idea that there's a lot we don't know about ourselves. Well, I would actually give Freud a little more credit than that. It's it's not just that now everyone knows about unconscious beliefs and desires and all that stuff, but those ideas gained a new kind of scientific respectability because of him. Scientific what? Well, respectability. What's your problem? I mean, come on. I mean, the, the idea that boys all want to kill their fathers and sleep with their mothers women all wish they had male genitalia envy men for that these aren't exactly scientific i mean there's a shred of evidence for half of what what freud says and that's precisely why he's fallen out of favor yeah okay i'm not going to argue with you on the oedipus complex but but no science is static I mean, biologists used to think that maggots appeared spontaneously out of rotting food, and now we know that flies lay eggs. Look, science evolves, Josh. Yeah, sure, okay, for maggots, but I mean, Freud? Freud's claims were never scientific in the first place, because he didn't follow the scientific method. And if you don't follow that method, you're not doing science. Yeah, I agree with that. But I would also add that your findings have to be replicable. How do you mean? So let's say you're conducting an experiment to see how people's judgments are influenced by factors they're not aware of. And, and say you get a certain result, like the, that uh, holding up a warm cup of coffee leads people to develop positive opinions about strangers, and, and holding a cold drink leads them to develop negative opinions. Okay, yeah, this sounds like that famous experiment by the psychologist John Barg. So now let's say other scientists try to replicate this experiment, but they never get the same result as you. Yeah, that would be a big problem. Right, and you would question the legitimacy of the original experiment. You would doubt that there was any real effect ever discovered. Yeah, okay, look, I see your point, and 
I'm just as eager to ditch the results of those bad experiments as I am to ditch Freud. But come on, I mean, with Freud, it's even worse. He didn't conduct experiments like that at all. So there's nothing even to try to replicate. At least some of today's science is going to hold up. <laughs> You're in denial. Oh, nice one, Sigmund. Look, I see a ton of psychological experiments that fail to replicate. Come on, they're even calling it a replication crisis. Freud's theories were unscientific, but what replaced Freud? It's not doing a whole lot better. And I bet, I bet our guest today, Stanford professor Blakey Vermeule, is going to agree with me. She's great. I'm super looking forward to this. And, you know, I, I got to say, this kind of skepticism is very healthy. In fact, I wish people had more skepticism when it came to Freud. But still, Ray, I don't know. I feel like there are lots and lots of results from today's science that do replicate. And you know what? They're pretty cool. Well, cool or not, they can be dangerous if you take them too far. Like, what happens if your psychologist thinks you're full of repressed memories, but you really aren't? And what if those memories are of really bad stuff, like child abuse? What if innocent people are prosecuted because of those fake memories? Or what if guilty people are exonerated because of doubts about memory? We sent our roving philosophical reporter, Holly J. McDee, to find out more. And, and just a quick warning, Holly's report does contain references to sexual abuse and acquaintance murder, so listener discretion is advised. The idea that memories can be repressed has been around since Freud first proposed that painful memories are often buried deep in the unconscious. But a recent effort to cast doubt on repressed memories began a few decades ago. In 1990, a researcher named Elizabeth Loftus got a call from a lawyer defending a man named George Franklin. His daughter had accused him of murdering her best friend decades earlier after apparently recovering memories of the crime during therapy. The only evidence against him was the testimony of his daughter who said that she had witnessed this murder when she was eight years old and that she repressed her memory for 20 years and now the memory was back. Franklin was convicted and spent five years in jail before doubts over his daughter's testimony were raised and his conviction was overturned. Loftus has continued to study how memories can be unreliable. She's testified in sexual misconduct and murder cases involving defendants like Ted Bundy and O.J. Simpson. During the trial against Harvey Weinstein, Loftus testified that leading questions by investigators and extensive media coverage can contaminate and alter memories. Without independent corroboration that can confirm the memory or exonerate it, you can't know for sure whether somebody's report is true or false. But there are often people, uh, you know, on the other side of the case who, in so many words, effectively insist that the memory is real. The idea that memories can be false is often used to discredit victims. After Christine Blasey Ford testified against then-Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh, her memory was also questioned, and some speculated she may have confused Kavanaugh with someone else. How are you so sure that it was he? Uh, the same way that I'm sure that I'm talking to you right now. It's uh, just basic memory functions um, and just the level of norepinephrine and epinephrine in the brain that sort of that neurotransmitter encodes memories into the hippocampus. And so the trauma-related experience then is kind of locked there, whereas other details kind of drift. You can trace some of that discourse around repressed memories to two parents, Pam and Peter Fried. In the 90s, their daughter Jennifer privately accused her father of sexually abusing her. Jennifer has said that memories of abuse resurfaced after speaking with a therapist. Her parents 
turned what was a private family issue into the most extreme public one imaginable. Warwick Middleton is one of Jennifer's good friends and a professor at the University of Queensland. He says Jennifer is now one of the most famous psychotherapy patients in human history. Her parents, both academics, denied the allegations and responded by forming an organization called the False Memory Syndrome Foundation. And then pursuing a, you know, a political agenda whereby they sent out newsletters, but also sort of took in accused parents, which is what Pamela and Peter Fry portrayed themselves as being falsely accused parents, with the accusation being that the daughter's therapist has somehow implanted false memories into her mind. Middleton says the discussion around memories at the time led to extremes. On the one side, some people thought that we've all been abused but don't know it. On the other side, people thought that there were out-of-control therapists creating false memories everywhere. The impetus of the False Memory Syndrome Foundation position was that you know, the general populace went from believing victims' accounts of abuse to focusing on falsely accused parents. And yes, and undoubtedly, amidst the confusion of it all, there were some people falsely accused, as there's always been. Um, there are also many people who were abusers who, you know, shielded under the threat of prosecution by invoking a false memory defence. Laura Brown is a psychologist who specialises in trauma, and she says the ideas of the False Memory Syndrome Foundation worked their way into intro psych textbooks. I used to teach a class for first-year medical students about the medical and psychosocial consequences of childhood sexual abuse. And inevitably, someone would say, but what about false memories? She says the bottom line is this. It's possible for people to develop false beliefs about things that happen in their lives. And people can also have things happen in their lives that are confusing, painful, hard to understand, and therefore difficult to recall. Until something made it necessary for them to recall. And both of those things are true. The False Memory Syndrome Foundation quietly folded in 2019. But there is still a lot we don't understand about the nature of memory. In sexual abuse cases, there is rarely physical evidence, documentation, or witnesses. But there are infinite opportunities for doubt. And memories are an easy target. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Holly J. McDeed. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.